And we come today to talk about a young person in our sermon today. Many years ago, uh, when I was a student at Emanuel School of Religion, now called Emanuel Christian Seminary, up in Johnson City, Tennessee, during the latter part of my tenure there, which would have been ended about 1982, there was a professor there. I had many, many great professors. Um, Eddie Groover uh, preceded me there at Emanuel and will know some of these names. And, uh, uh, but one in particular, uh, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Delno Brown. Dr. Delno Brown was a special professor to me and friend. And uh, he always greeted me uh, with this phrase. When he would see me in the hall, it didn't, it didn't matter what, he would say, James, how about those Braves? <laughs> and if you remember, that was uh, in the early 80s when the worst the first and all that was going on. And it makes me remember uh, a ball game many, many years ago where we had that classic underdog team that was up against a great, great team, and, and it was on the ball diamond there, and, and the underdog team wasn't supposed to win, and if they were to win, it would be the biggest thing for them that had happened the whole year. And so they had fought and clawed throughout the game, and they'd gotten way behind, but came to the last inning of the game, and they were coming back. They were coming back. And in fact, they were within like one run of tying the game and sending it into extra innings. And so uh, there were two outs, and uh, a guy gets up and, and um, hits a, a double, and, and so he's on second base, and, and they're just one run uh, separating, and if they can score one more run, then they'll tie the game and send it into extra innings with this great foe that they didn't even think they belonged to be on the same turf with. Well, so the guy's on second base and two outs and the crack of the bat and somebody hits a, a double. And so he comes rounding third base, it's actually a single, and so he's really running real hard and rounds third base and comes on in and touches home plate and the, the team goes wild because they've tied and they've sent this into extra innings. Well, the joy didn't last too long because the pitcher, who was very, very observant, noticed uh, that the runner did not touch third base. So the pitcher pointed to third and the umpire confirmed that he missed third and he was out. Well, what about that runner? One thing in the crowd and the joy and whatever that the people didn't notice about that runner was that as he touched home plate, he didn't stop running. In fact, he kept running right out of the ballpark and got in his car and drove off because he knew he had missed third base. And he knew that the pitcher was astute and his name was Lee Long. And the reason I know that story is that runner was me. <laughs> and you know what, on that day, I was so ashamed. I was so ashamed. My teammates had longed to win that game. 
And in my haste to make it home, I had missed third base. And I knew I missed third base. And I knew that Lee saw me miss third base. And I knew that I would be called out. And so I didn't even break stride. I just went across home, kept running, got in my car, drove off. And that was the last church softball game I ever played in. <laughs> I said, if it's going to upset me this much, I'm not playing anymore. Well, I was ashamed. I was ashamed. And you know, there are times in life when we all have been ashamed. Sometimes we say now in this world and society that maybe people aren't ashamed enough anymore. You know, people have lost a sense of shame and certainly there are things that we should be ashamed about. As our moms and dad raise us up and teach us right for wrong and, and they see us uh, making fun of somebody or something like that, you can hear your mom's words you should be ashamed of yourself for making fun of them. Or you should be ashamed of yourself for this or that. So there is a proper, proper place for shame at times. But on the other hand, sometimes, sometimes we shouldn't be ashamed. And today I want to talk to you about just such an instance. When someone was counseled not to be ashamed. Not to be ashamed. And that was a person named Timothy. So if you have your Bibles today, if you'll open to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, we're going to focus specifically on verse number 8 of 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Now when we think about Timothy, who the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to, we remember Timothy as a young man when he met the Apostle Paul in the city of Lystra, which was a province of Galatia. We know that his father was of Greek heritage, but his mother and grandmother were of the Jewish faith and that they had raised him and taught him about God and from the Old Testament scriptures. We know that as the Apostle Paul met Timothy as a young man, probably a teenager, that he invited him, he saw something in him to invite him to join him in helping to establish churches there in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. We know that they worked together for almost three years in the city of Ephesus and we know that Timothy was with Paul when he was in Rome. We know ultimately that as Paul went on and with other journeys that Ephesus became the place that Timothy would pastor and lead the church. The Apostle Paul says endearing things about Timothy. He says that he loved Timothy as a son in the faith. He says that he gave him a lot of credit for carrying on the work of the Lord just as he did, the Apostle Paul. He said that he had no one else like Timothy who took a genuine interest in other people's welfare. He said wonderful things that Timothy had proven himself and he had great confidence in Timothy. And so to Timothy today, the Apostle Paul writes this young preacher, this young preacher in the town of Ephesus and gives him in his second letter to Timothy more words of encouragement and admonition 
as he serves the Lord as a leader, but also individually as a believer. In the second book of Timothy in chapter number one, we find these simple words in verse number eight. He says to Timothy, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. And I think today in this day and age when there are things seeming like that people need to be ashamed of, uh, aberrant type of living and choices and so forth. As Christians, we're called to testify to the Lord in an environment that is often and increasingly more hostile, more unfriendly to us. And those words that the Apostle Paul spoke to Timothy surely were in a similar environment a Greco-Roman Empire that had a very hedonistic, secular worldview. Christians were not always welcome. Christians were many times understood. Same thing today. We find increasingly that times when we're seemingly called to be quiet and to not speak up and to not testify, but just as to Timothy, when he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed, he says to you and I today, don't be ashamed to testify. To testify to what? Well, in this simple verse, I think there are three things the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy that he shouldn't be ashamed of. Shouldn't be ashamed of. The first is this. Timothy, Christians today, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you say, why would anyone be ashamed of Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 gives us a clue about the early days of Christianity when the Apostle Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly foolishness to the Gentiles. To the Jews, Jesus was generally seen as a disappointment. He was not the conquering king that they had imagined. This was a stumbling block for them. The Messiah concept they had that Jesus says, no, my kingdom's not of this world, and no, I'm not going to be an earthly king like you want me to be. Even the disciples had a hard time grasping what Jesus' kingdom was about. To the Gentiles, they couldn't comprehend. They couldn't comprehend it was foolishness to them to think about a God incarnate among men. A God who would come and walk among men and act in a benevolent fashion towards men. No, gods were someone to be feared and, and suspected and they weren't trustworthy. No, the Gentiles said, it was foolishness. The Jews, it was a stumbling block to talk about this Christ crucified. You can imagine the abuse that was heaped on the early Christians. 
the difficulty they had as they testified to the truthfulness of the gospel. As we think about our time today, we think about the image of Jesus Christ. Many, many times as you see him portrayed in artwork and so forth, you see him portrayed as, as something less, less, than, less than a man, that he's, that he's somehow not strong, that he's in, some would look at Jesus and say he's an underachiever, that he didn't get the job done, and, and so forth. These things can be said. You can find these type of things as you go around the internet and surf. But we remember today, as Timothy remembered in that time, that Jesus Christ was, was, someone of whom we shouldn't be ashamed as a person. We know him to be the son of a carpenter. He would have been physically strong. In three years, it's estimated that Jesus walked 5,000 miles. He walked 70 miles to be baptized. A few weeks ago, I participated in the hustle for hospice and many of you marveled that I finished the race. <laughs> Jesus was a strong man. Jesus won the respect of what would be considered in that time very, very manly, strong men as he associated with these fishermen who gained his, he gained respect from them. Jesus was a courageous man as a man. Mark chapter 5 recounts the, the Gadaran demoniac, the demon-possessed person unable, who, unable to be pursued by others and by chains and ropes. We find the story of Jesus landing at dusk, at dusk to encounter this man. You can imagine the disciples who heard of his reputation tiptoeing in the dark. And, 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 and Jesus asked him simply, what's your name? And confronts him. We remember the Jesus who, who cleansed the temple, took a lot of courage to go in there and turn over those tables and confront those money changers. Some have estimated that in our terms it was a $5 million business annually. At death, we remember Jesus enduring things physically so hard to endure. Enduring the scourging, the whips. Seven out of ten people died from just being whipped alone. We remember as he was offered the, the vinegar solution to ease his pain, he, he, didn't, he didn't take it. He turned away from it. Yes, as we remember Jesus on the cross and that cruel death, we remember Pilate's words were, that were much more appropriate than he knew at the time he uttered them when he said, Behold the man. We're not ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ. Timothy was called not to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're also called not to be ashamed of something else today, and that is the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the church. Certainly the Apostle Paul could have been and was a source of embarrassment for other Christians at times. Verse 8 says that he was in prison. Scripture speaks of him having a thorn in the flesh, some sort of disability. Some say that it was eyesight. We don't know exactly what it was that he had and that he struggled with. Others say that he was short. Others say that he was an ugly man. Question comes to mind. Today, are we embarrassed about people in the body of Christ? 
Are we embarrassed about the church? Certainly, along with you, I'm not thrilled about some of the chapters in church history that we remember and are reminded about. Things about crusades and inquisitions and things of that nature. Certainly those things which were not, were not following the, 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 the precepts and the teachings of Jesus Christ that got askew in some ways. Certainly those things are things that we're not thrilled about and that we, we understand we're in error. I get embarrassed sometimes when I see things on TV and so forth that for people who are prop proposing to be Christians yet their behavior, their behavior is so evidently not in line with what they say. And you know in this day and time that as soon as the media finds someone who's inconsistent in what they say and what they do, they seize upon that, particularly with those of prominence who claim to be Christians. But you know what, as we think about that and we think about the different things that trouble us, we find comfort in the knowledge that God our God, who's in control, has always been able to work good out of bad. I recall fondly those great words of Joseph way back in the Old Testament to his brothers. He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I find comfort in knowing that not that everyone, for everyone who represents the gospel poorly, there are hundreds thousands who represent the gospel well, well. When we think about God's will and God's plan, we know that he's going to prevail. When we think about the church and all that the church has done for the world, there's so many things that we can talk about, positives. Many, many years ago, I heard the story about a church in which a a little young girl was, was called upon to read scripture in the church and she stumbled through it because she had a learning disability and, and yet the church, the leaders of the church and those in, 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 in time of leadership had, had known that but it allowed her and called her to do that and it was a precious time for some but for others they questioned because it made the service a little longer. It was a little bit awkward. And to those folks who said it was a little bit awkward, wise people counseled them and helped them to see that that was what the church should be about, a place of grace and a place of, of love and, and, and a place where folks of all types of backgrounds and all types of ability could come and use their gifts for God. God has always called the church to accomplish his purpose and to be a home for the outcast and for the lost and those who don't seem to belong anywhere else. This doesn't make sense to those in the world, but as the scripture tells us, God has chosen what is foolish to shame the wise, what is weak to shame the strong so that no one might boast in his presence. We're not ashamed today of the person of Jesus Christ, just as Timothy was reminded not to be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in that culture where people wouldn't understand as a stumbling block and his folly to Jews and Gentiles. And today as we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of people don't understand and a lot of people will say, well, he was a failure. He was a failure. He didn't get it done and so forth. I'm not ashamed of the body of Christ, the church of Christ today. There's certainly things that aren't perfect about the church. I say the church is kind of a hospital and I need to be there, you know, because I'm not perfect and you're not perfect either. And thank God that in our imperfection, he calls us to a place that's a family, that's a home, that cares for each other, that, that sees and loves people in the, in the love of Jesus Christ. As in Romans says to us what? While we were yet sinners, the Lord Jesus died for us. And we're called in the church to be a place that loves folks, not when they have their act all together, but on the way to that, as we go through this process of the Christian life, and as we help each other to get there. Not ashamed of the person of Christ, not ashamed of the body of Christ, no, but also not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Sometimes we underestimate the power of the gospel. The gospel has power in the world. Power to do good. Power to affect peace in a miraculous way. We say all we can do is pray, but that's the first thing we should do. Because we don't know what's going to happen with the power of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts and people's situation. The gospel causes good wherever it goes. Wherever it goes. Just think of how Christianity has been involved as a major force in so many good things around the world. Think about Christian influences that has helped hold this old world together. Think about what this old world would be like if the church was not there. If there wasn't a faith that says, honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The gospel has power in the world and has had such an influence in the world. Christianity, the church entered into a world in which orphans were often cast aside very, very much in that day and time that Timothy would be uh, ministering. But for centuries upon centuries, Christians have led the way in building orphanages and providing for those who didn't have parents. Think about the church and Jesus Christ and the elevation of women to a place of equality and respect. In that day and in that time years ago, Aristotle would say a woman was below a man and maybe a little bit above a slave and maybe a little bit above a dog or a cat. I mean, literally, they would say those kind of things. And yet the Lord Jesus comes along, and what do you find him doing? Meeting people at the well, a woman at the well. You find him embracing and bringing into his followers a woman named Mary Magdalene and as she would come and serve with other women. We, we know that the, the, the great honor of the first person to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ was a woman. All those things in that day and age would have been ludicrous in that culture. Women didn't have that standing. 
And then as we see the epistles and as the Apostle Paul and others talk about men should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? And as we see scriptures that talk about in Christ, there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. The church, the church, the gospel has done so much in the world to elevate the status of women. Christianity and education, you think about it, years and years ago, a lot of the things that we take for granted are because of the works of monks and priests to pass down great Western literature, advancements in education have been made. Gutenberg and the printing press, Gutenberg was a Christian. We think about of the 123 colleges first established in our country, 122 of them had Christian roots, Christian roots. We think about the evils of slavery in the world and how that because of the teaching of scripture and because of people being convicted by Christ that we were all created in the image of God, Christians like William Wilberforce were inspired to bring an end to slavery. We know that in the early 1800s in the United States, two-thirds of American abolitionists against slavery were Christian pastors. We know that in the work of medicine and so forth that Christians were among the first to build hospitals in the Roman Empire and through the Western world. And we think today of things that go on all over the world in terms of helping people who are in need. And we think about the, those that have helped. We think about people who respond to disasters like Samaritan's Purse. When things happen like tsunamis in Japan and so forth, Samaritan's Purse is there to help and respond. We think about places like the Salvation Army. We think about places like Atlanta Union Mission and others who open their doors and help the homeless and those who are, who are without a home or by no fault of their own or maybe in a family abuse situation and need a place to stay. We think about all these different kind of things that the church, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has called people to. The gospel has power in the world. And I've just described to you some ways that that power has been seen. But the gospel also has power, first of all, in my heart and your heart. As the song says, I believe in miracles. I've seen a soul set free, miraculous, the change it wrought, redeemed through Calvary. I believe in miracles because I believe in God and he's worked a miracle in my heart and he calls you and he calls me today to testify, to testify with confidence, to testify with joy of the work that he's done in your heart and my heart. John 10 says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. What kind of life do we testify? A life that comes to us from the gospel, a life that's free of guilt, free from the bond of sin, a life of peace, a life that has purpose, a life that has hope, hope. And that's a message the world needs to hear. And particularly this week, as our minds go to the horrific thing that happened in Texas this week, and things like that that are becoming so all too common, we need, as a church, as Christian people,
to provide to these troubled young people hope, a sense of meaning, purpose, that there's more to life. And if there's places where they're ostracized, well, there's a place where they won't be, and it's the church. And God calls us to make that difference, just as God called Timothy to make a difference in that day and time. Today we're going to sing a song of dedication and invitation that says, Just as I am without one plea. And that song is for you today. If you have never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that song also is for you today. If you would like to join with us in this work at Southwest Christian Church of carrying the gospel that we are not ashamed of to change our community and the world around us, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.